You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Good afternoon. Happy Friday. This is Doc Sloan. Welcome to I Never Had a Bad Day. And uh, with this in the studio today is my wife, Sharon, and Stacy's kind of our moderator and uh, MC, and Stacy Sloan. And she has. we have a special guest with us today. And Stacy, why don't you introduce Jason? Sure. Jason uh, Tracy is here from Roar Consulting. And I met Jason last year because I was in a mastermind group of business owners that was put together by a friend, actually my former boss, Renee Lewis, and her husband. And that's where I met Jason, and I was immediately blown away by how enthusiastic Jason was, how excited he was, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and how much he brought to the group, especially in relation to somebody that I was sharing an office space with. He really helped John to turn the corner with his business, and John has talked about that several times. So um, I was. We're not working together. We just started our first official coaching session. That's right. That's yeah. right. He told me that he was going to work with you. So yeah. I was excited to we hear about this that. Afternoon, actually. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. He had two appointments set up. That's fantastic. Yep. In Since... fact, he sold both of them. That's awesome. Yep. That's really? awesome. That's yep. great. Yeah. So sales coaching by Jason Tracy and Roar Consulting. So that, um, No, that's Roar. Roar, like, like Ryan. Roar. Like, like I'm going to eat lion. your face. <laughs> yeah. A lion. <laughs> Roar Consulting. Right. So um, I can talk about Jason for a while, but it's better if Jason talks about himself <laughs> and talks about his business and um, and his background. What When we met two weeks ago, three weeks ago right. in Jason's office, I had never heard Jason's story from like the beginning of how he was out looking for a job and uh, the little voice inside told him to stop somewhere at a Verizon store. And if you don't mind telling that story again, yeah, I think yeah. it would be really cool for the audience to hear that story. Yeah, I was uh, I was at this point in my life and I, had, I was in my early 20s and I had had a pretty crazy life to that point anyways. And uh, but I was at a real big financial crisis in. I uh, was in a relationship with uh, with a girl, and our relationship was really at a rocky rocky spot. I knew that was going to be ending, uh, and <clears throat> I was out looking for jobs because I was a community organizer for this company. And they came to me and said, "We ran out of funding. It's a nonprofit. We ran out of funding for you to stay in Detroit, so we're going to need to move you to Iowa. So if you want a job, you're going to have to stay in Iowa, or you're going to move. You're going to pick up and move to Iowa." And I'm like, "All I know about Iowa is cornfields, and that's not me." Let me go out and look for jobs. So I got my resume out and I started passing out resumes at all these different jobs. And I went into, uh, I used to sell cell phones at, uh, in this point in my, in my career. And so I had some good stuff on my resumes. I worked for some good companies, had some good results at these companies. And so I went into a sprint store and they're like, Oh yeah, we're looking for an assistant manager. You're, you look like you're fit. Uh, all this experience. It's fantastic. We'll give you a call next week. We're, we're going to fast track you. You're going to be in. And so I was all pumped up like, all right, I'm going to get an assistant manager job. Like life's going to start turning around for me a little bit and uh, get on some solid ground. And as I was driving out of Fenton, I saw this little tiny Verizon store packed away in this little tiny plaza. And you thought, you know what? I might as well stop in, even though I've got this shoe in down the road at Sprint. I might as well stop in and drop off a resume. So I drop this resume off and I get up back on the expressway and start driving back home in Flint to Flint. I get all the, almost all the way home. And I get this call from this guy and it's like, hey, dude. I'm, uh, my name's Dean. I'm over here at this at the Verizon store. He's like, I don't come to this store very often. It's my lowest performing store. He was like, so I don't come here very often, but I really want need somebody. I like your resume. Can you come back here and, and interview with me? And 
So I thought, sure, why not? I turned my car around. I go and interview with this guy. And he hired me on the spot. We had a great interview. I could tell right away that, that you know, there's a connection with this guy. And as I started working with him, I realized he was the guy. Like, you know, we all look for the guy. We all look for our, uh, for our own Yoda or our own Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi, right? You know, so I had all – I've read all these books. I went to all these seminars. I started to dig myself out of a lot of issues, but I didn't have that person to really push me. To be a mentor. To be a mentor. Correct. To be a mentor. Right. And, uh, and so I met this guy and instantly I'm like, he has what I want. And so he's, he's like everything that I want to be. And so I, I'm like, I'm going to go and work at the store and I'm just going to stay close to this guy, you know, stay as close as possible. And that, that was what kind of, that kind of, that literally changed my whole entire life. Right. So you said when we were talking a couple of weeks ago that he, up until that point, there was something about you that he really helped you change. So he helped you, A, stop seeing yourself as a victim, which mm-hmm. I do want to spend some time talking about that. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you said that he taught you was how to um, control the conversation when it comes to sales and to hone the sales process for you. Yeah. So I definitely want to talk about that. And the third thing I want to talk about is um, I want the audience to hear all about the success that you had as a result of taking this job because then you went on and you turned this super low performing store around and so on and so on and so on leading up to yeah. the the place where you're at today. Yeah. Yeah. So if we start with the victim mentality and that was, you know, I mentioned a little bit ago, just kind of coming out of a struggle my, my whole entire life. So I, I grew up uh, in an abusive household. Uh, my father was a very abusive guy. And uh, to the point, and, you know, I believe it with my all that we all have lions inside of us and it's our choice or not whether we're going to go out there and roar, right? We all can go out there and roar. And so that's a big part of like why we're concerned, you know, why, why, what I'm doing. When I was a kid, I believed that I was worthless. I believed you say, and it's funny, the podcast, like I've never had a bad day in my life. That's not true. <laughs> There's been some bad days, you know, like there have been some bad days. And, and at the time, I was such a victim. I believed that every failure in my life was because I was meant to be this loser, right? I was meant, my dad told me I was, I was dumb. I was stupid. Nobody would love me. Everybody would think that I was a loser my whole life. And, you know, and, and, and I believed it with everything that I had. And so when people, it's funny how you perceive things. When people would talk to me, I felt like they were talking to me because they had an mo- ulterior motive. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of kept myself really guarded to the point like first grade. In first grade, I literally made myself sick to my stomach almost every day. I tried to miss school every day. And when I did go to school, I stayed inside. Like when we went out to recess, I stayed inside looking outside the door because I was afraid of the kids in the playground. Mm-hmm. I was afraid, afraid, so afraid, afraid of one particular kid because somebody told me this kid, this kid had two fingers and he was kind of funny looking. And I was in first grade and so I have all these fears. And somebody on the playground told me, if that kid touches you, you'll look, you'll look just like him. Mm. And for the, my whole entire first grade year, I had, to, my, I had to have my tonsils out because they thought there was something wrong with me. <laughs> like, oh, no. It was just Whoa. mentally I was making myself so sure. sick to my sure. stomach sure. every single day. Right. So we're going on. You were, mani- uh, you were manifesting that. I was manifesting it. Right. Yeah. You know, looking back at it now, you, you, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. In, uh, it's it's really cool the lessons that you have as you go back mm-hmm. and you reflect on on your life and uh, when you get out of that victim victim mentality. So 
we got to a point in sixth grade my my grandpa was my biggest hero he was like that strong character in my life and uh and my dad like i said was a very abusive guy but he was afraid of my my grandpa Hmm. and so my grandpa was like my hero and when i was in sixth grade he got cancer and he was just this tough guy that you know we believed that with any of everything that that he was going to live and so I was always there. I was I was with them by his side uh, at at the house and uh, constantly taking care of them. And uh, one day, my dad picked me up from school, and I've never seen him this happy. Like I thought, you know, like we're going to Disney World. Like what's going to happen? Right. So he's so happy, and he looks at me and he said, "Your grandpa's a goner." He was told today that the cancer moved to his brain, and he only has a few days to live. He's going to die any time. And so, like. This your person dad was happy about this. Oh, he was very happy. Was this about his it. father? It was no. It was my mom. It was your, my mom's okay, father. His father-in-law. Yeah, yeah, okay. father-in-law. But he was. I wow. he knew I looked up to him. He mm-hmm. knew how much I hated him. He knew that he protected us. You know all these things, and I don't know. I, I look back now and I feel really sorry for my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was forty-two years old when he committed suicide. Oh my and, lord! And you know, and I look at like where I'm at. Like man. How sad is that? Like, he didn't yeah. get to know an amazing grandson. Like, he didn't get to know us. Look, like, I feel like I'm pretty, I feel like I've made a lot out of myself. Sure. And then my brother, he's so successful and he's doing a lot of really cool things. And just what he missed out on, like, he literally sat in his garage and closed the garage door and said, I don't have anything to live for. Mm-hmm. You know, like, nobody loves me. And that's really sad. So, all this time, talk about being a victim. I thought all these things were, you know, poor me, poor me. I've had all these circumstances. But the fact of the matter is, I found out over time as people pushed me and I really started studying myself that all those things that I was so vulnerable for, always so afraid of, were actually all my strengths. Mm-hmm. Wow. I yeah. overcame a, that stuff. What a story. You well, know. and what's amazing, too, about what you're saying about your dad is that he gets in the garage, closes the door, and says, Nobody loves me. And when you're talking about manifesting, so you were manifesting, making yourself sick. I believe that we have a story that we're determined to make true. So if our story is that nobody is going to love me, every mm-hmm. action that you do is going to cause people to not love you. Right. So if that was his story, he was living that out. He right. was abusing you and yeah. your family and that he, it was hard to love him yeah. because he was so right. impossible, well, he made to impossible to love. Yeah, he impossible. made it impossible. And, and he, got, he got what he was manifesting. He manifested what mm-hmm. he got. Yeah, what he but believed. But you know what? And I used to be so angry. In fact, to the point where I said, you know what? If he ever died, I, the only reason I'd go to the funeral is to make sure that he was dead. And I oh, my God. I believe <laughs> oh, that with well. every core of my heart. And when he died, when I was 23 years old and I, I was living up in the UP and my mom called me and said, I just got told that he committed suicide and he died. I literally went to the funeral just to make sure he was dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That anger is no longer inside of me because I can sit and think about like, wow, you know, like what what caused him in his life to do that? And I know he had a rough childhood. He had an abusive father. He had these things going on and he just wasn't strong enough to see there was a light. You know, he and so he created these this this pattern and that's just who he became. Mm-hmm. And obviously he wasn't happy with himself to the point where he ended his life. Right. Right. Yeah. And that commitment to make his – we have to make our stories true. Yeah. That's the power of the subconscious mind. So you had been living in this this manner. You meet Dean and something about him teaches you that you're not a victim. You're somebody who can overcome. What was it about Dean that helped him or helped you to get past that? So – let me back up a little bit because I was on this path uh, to I'd, 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 
I, we talked about before, it's all about people. People come into your life and people are your greatest resources. I've read a lot of books. I've read to a lot of seminars. I've been to tapes and, you know, the, I've had the ruling university. I've been a salesperson. So I've got the ruling university in my car and I'm doing the pep talks, right? Um, I was telling somebody earlier, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And the only thing that did for me is make me a, that made me a very defiant employee. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd go to work and think like, like I'm an owner. Right, I'm an, an entrepreneur. Owner. Right, like right, you right. can't tell me anything. And right. but the thing is, is like I had to have a learning curve. Like if no one can tell me anything, how am I ever going to learn how to be an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. How could I ever get from? I can't come here from being so poor and being broke minded and not understanding how to rub two nickels together to like all of a sudden owning a business and being a su- successful millionaire business owner. So that's where Dean comes in. Because I had good friends that introduced me to personal development. I had some really cool entrepreneurial friends that I had met and came along with that really inspired me that this is what I want to do. But they weren't successful either. They were building their own businesses. They were having their own failures. When I met Dean, he had what I wanted. Okay. Right. He had what I wanted, and so I was very receptive well, to listening. Well, excuse me, uh, Jason, but you, you said a key thing when we met in your office. That was a wonderful two hours. I came in thinking I was going to meet this guy for half an hour, and, you know, like, you, you've heard of the, the, uh, the song Dueling Banjos. This was like dueling salesmen. <laughs> you know, it was like, and we weren't really trying to outdo each other. I, I was just like, I was so impressed with him, and he had so much to offer, and, um, and we were very, very like-minded, but at the same time had different points of view. Different, we came from different places, but ended up in the same place. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And uh, what you said about Dean was he taught you to think like an owner. Yes. I, is that the way you put it? That's absolutely Even it. though you weren't one. Yes. And that is key. See, the thing with me is I learned to think like an owner when I was 19. Yeah. Because I had this nurturing father and a mother, and I had a different circumstance. So I had, But I was motivated by um, not poverty, but being broke. Yes. We, we weren't poor, yeah. but we were broke. And so go ahead. I didn't mean to, but I, yeah. want, I want you to go into where, where, what you talked about, Dean, how you taught you to think like an owner. That's so, that was so cool to me to see that because I never had to, th- I never had to make a switch. Yeah. I just always thought that you way. You just always thought that way. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, yeah. I did not always think that right. way. Right. Just and so he, uh, he would constantly come in and push me. And so, First off, nobody had ever believed in me to, to promote me to a manager before. And so I was going along and I, I, I had made it in my mind that I'm going to get this guy to notice me. Hmm. And so I did everything that I possibly could. And I had come from knocking on doors in Detroit and having guns put to my head, right? So like I've been right. through some stuff. To work in a retail store, you want me to make some phone calls? Pfft, okay, yeah, right. I'll make some phone calls. Like <laughs> that's not a problem. Yeah. I'll make some phone calls. So I'm, I'm sitting in the yeah, store. Yes, like Les Brown says, make no your vitamin because he said nobody's slapping you in the face when you ask for the order. Yeah. Well, in this case, you were getting guns put in your face. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Literally. And then try to not act afraid. I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah, right. I'm walking downtown Detroit, like in, in the, in the, in some really rough streets in Detroit. And I remember this Cadillac pulls up to me one day and this guy rolls down the window and he's like, son, what are you doing down here? He's like, I haven't seen a white guy down here since 1985. Like, what are you, and that didn't end good. Like, what are you doing down here? But you have to act unafraid. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, uh, I, I broke your train of thought, but you no. So, so when it comes like to making sales calls, right. the fear isn't there as much as what it what it would have been, you know, not having those experiences. And so I'm 
I'm going to grind it out. I want to make the best out of this opportunity. I see what I could potentially have here, and I need to get this guy to notice me because he's already told me I don't come to this location very often. <laughs> and so the guy next to me, there's one guy there that works there, and this guy's snoring on his desk, right? He's sleeping every day. <laughs> we have satellite TV in the store because we sold Dish or satellite uh, Dish Network or whatever, and so he's watching TV and everything, and I'm like hustling, working on the phones. And so I was able to get – I was doing community events. I was setting up expos. I was doing whatever I could to get this guy to notice me. And uh, in the store started making progress. However, this was a really losing location. I mean, before me, there was one guy that worked there seven days a week and, and it barely fed him, you know. So this is a really struggling location. I'm kind of getting the writing on the wall. This store is closing down. Me and my girlfriend go through a breakup. And I remember telling her my exact game plan or what I was going to do. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, this is all working out for a reason and everything's, you know. So um, Dean, uh, I guess to come full circle, he gave me that opportunity and said, I believe in you to be a leader. But then when I got out there, it was so hard to take what I was doing to be a successful salesperson and get other people to believe it and do it. And so I was going out and doing everything. And he'd come in and he would like, he would find dust under a gumball machine, you know, like, and why wasn't this? And I'd have so much anxiety when he would come out and he would, and then I would do it. I'd go and do everything. And he'd get, he, Jason, you're going to end up, you're going to end up having a heart attack here. You're going to end up like working yourself to death. He's like, I'm not telling you to do it. Right. I'm telling you it needs to get done. There are right. two different, mm-hmm. that is a two different meanings, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the biggest story. And there's a lot of it. Uh, there's a lot of stories, but the biggest story is because I was right in that cost and I was having a lot of success in the store. And I took this store. Still, still in Fenton. This no, I got promoted uh, to a management position. I went up to Lansing. Oh, that was a store that was also an underperforming store. Under, this store was I was underperforming. It was the worst store in the company outside of the one that they just closed down that right. I was working at. So I go out there and they and Verizon literally it's a Verizon agent. Verizon said we're going to take we're going to pull Verizon. We're going to pull ourselves out, and you're not going to have a store anymore if you don't get a manager in there and fix the situation. It was a bad store, and so I go in there and selling right away. Now I got to get a team, got to build a team. I had a lot of success right out of the gates just because I was, I interjected myself. And as you can tell, I've, I'm, I'm a ray of energy. You know, I'm like, right, right. let's go. So right. things started happening. Then uh, then it came time to building a team. So, so, so Dean is on me. I built this store and it was not only became the best store in our company, but it was the highest grossing store in Michigan, Indiana, Kentucky. So I'm really feeling myself at this point, but I'm still a doer. I'm still an employee. I'm still, you know, I'm still not, on this, I'm right. not thinking like an owner right. and I, you know, and I'm delegating a little bit, but I still am not completely comfortable with it. So I had a huge problem making deposits. And I'm in the south side of Lansing, which isn't the best area in the world. We have a lot of break-ins and not only that, but they pay a lot of bills and they pay it in cash. So I have a lot of cash sitting in my store and it would be easy to get five, six days worth of deposits. But my justification in my head is I'm selling so much that I'm so busy that I'm here all day that, oh, oops, I forgot the deposit. Who cares? And I'm being very careless like that. And I'm thinking they owe me. Look what I've done for this company, right? Right. So one day I get an, uh, get an email from the owner, Rob, who, I've, who barely knows me, who's barely said, thank you, Jason, for coming into my company and resurrecting what we have going on because I'm really feeling cocky at this point. Like, look at all I've done yeah. for you. And I get this email from Rob that basically tells me that he's going to fire me. <laughs> like, who are you, you piece of crap? You know, like in you – know, it's basically <laughs> like that. He was like, I'm here with Dean right now. We're in Las Vegas and I'm, he's in a hotel room. He's not even allowed to have fun. I'm chewing him out. Why shouldn't I fire him if he can't control you? 
you're not making these deposits. It's costing me a lot of money. He was like, why can't you get the attention for details? Maybe leadership isn't for you. Wow. And I get this message. It's the end of the workday. I have employees with me and I'm trying – trying not to fume because I've learned that, you know, I can't let employees see me have these emotions and being negative about the company because then they're going to think now they can riot too. So right. trying to control my emotions and I just want to tell Rob off, like, who are you? Who do you think you are? Did you see what I did to your store? Did you see what I've done for your company? Because now the company's modeling themselves off from what I'm doing in this store. So your whole entire company is now having success because of me. And the first interaction you have with me isn't to say, Jason, you're a god. It's to say, you suck and you're going to fire me. Me, like fire me i'll go you know and i'm like i'm i'm, I'm like you're the victim just fuming. Right, right the victim i'm right. in the victim mode. victim i go home and i just keep thinking about it and the more and more i think about it i'm like what do what do i want the outcome to be do i just want to be a store manager do i just want to be just the top salesperson do i what do i want out of this and when i realized what i wanted didn't match not being able to do the little things not having that ownership mentality, not understanding that, okay, I make this company a lot of money, but if I'm not putting it in the bank, <laughs> I'm not actually making the company a lot of money. Right. And right. if they paid me, if on payday, they told me that they didn't put my check in the bank, I would be very angry. So why right. wouldn't, Did you actually think those thoughts? Oh yeah. That's amazing. Because yeah. this is why you are who you are. Because most people, they never get to that level to even think that way. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was like a light bulb. It was like I yeah. literally flipped the switch, yeah, right. and it changed my life. Yeah. That night, I literally pulled out a notebook, and I laid out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I laid out the whole entire week, and I laid, then I made a list of everything in the store that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Everything, whether it's training, development, making sales calls, cleaning the bathroom, making deposits, whatever needed to be done in that location to make it the best location ever, I had it on the list. And yeah. then I started chunking it out, and I made a system. And so I had Mondays we do this, Tuesdays we do this, Thursdays we do this. And then I started, okay, on Mondays, Matt's going to do this, and Jason's going to do do this and then I got to follow up and so if In- this isn't done inspect what you expect inspect what you expect right. expect if Marine Corps. Uh, so if it's not done my my mentor taught me this like if if someone on your team doesn't doesn't do what you ask them to do you call them at the most inconvenient time so like <laughs> Oh, good. Okay. So, like, I this guy Matt, and uh, and he's literally sitting at home at nine thirty, and I'm like, "Hey, did you did did you process that uh, that inventory? Did you send that inventory out like you said you were going to?" And he was like, oh, "Jay, no, I didn't. I forgot." I'm like, "All right, can, uh, I'm going to need you to get there first thing in the morning and process that out." I caught people like that a couple times and right. made life a little bit inconvenient because they didn't do what they said they were going to do mm-hmm. and just kept following up. Right. It took. It was. It was. Two weeks of the hardest weeks I've ever put in because everybody's boycotting and like, okay, how long? When you start putting process in place, right? people rebel right? Mm-hmm. because they think, okay, this is just something that you Temporary. know, you're going to do like, He won't keep this up. Most companies do that. Right. Most right. managers do that. We're going to do this new hot button thing and we'll do it for two weeks and then it'll slowly fade off and, you know. Status quo. Status quo. Right. Once you get through that period and you stay consistent and you do it, it becomes a machine. So literally, I I was just telling somebody today, I got to a point where I I didn't feel comfortable ever doing this before or leaving my store. I got comfortable. I went on a week and a half vacation and I came back and I'm like, oh, my God, the store did better without me. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's really cool. I know everything got done. I had people reporting to me while I was out there. These are the things getting done. I didn't have to read them. I just knew that they were getting done. You know, so um, that it, it changed. It changed my whole. So that life. actually wasn't the dean that did that. Then it was a guy named Rob. Well, okay. So this is a funny story. So 
later on down the road, they, we had a contest to go to Las Vegas. And this was another trip to Vegas. And uh, it was between me and another guy, another high-performing manager. Excuse and Dean me. came to me and said, or came to us and said, we're going to have a contest and you have to write an essay in of why you think you deserve to go out, go to Vegas with me, why you think that you're my right-hand guy. And so I wrote this, this email of what I was going to get out of the conference, what I could get out of it, why I thought that I was the person. And I told this story. This very story I just told you of my metamorphosis, and because after this things just lit on fire, and yeah. I, I became we became the best, the top, the top indirect Verizon agent in the whole entire country. We were just smoking it. I had people making six figures selling cell phones. It's really funny. I had the dean of business at Baker College come into my uh, come into my store one day and try to tell us why we all needed to go back to college because I don't have a college <laughs> degree. So he's giving me this pep talk. My top sales guy's driving a Porsche. In the meantime, I'm like, I asked the the dean, like, do you want to buy that? phone he's like oh i gotta wait for my check to come next week <laughs> <laughs> i'm like okay so you want to get jason to give you a loan or do you, yeah. <laughs> you like me to give you a loan you know like <laughs> i gotta wait for the dean of baker college so like you're coming into pep talk us and that, that's, it, because it's re- you, you think it's retail that we're not doing very well mm-hmm. right but if yeah, right. anybody can be a top producer anything right. can you can be a right. top producer at it if you have the right structure in place yeah well very neat so did you go to vegas so I so I go to Vegas. Did, did, so did you get to? Did, did I got to Vegas win? because I won because okay. my essay was killer because okay. I told the story and nobody no like you said it's one percent right you know, the top one percent or top ten mm-hmm. percent or whatever people actually have these thoughts and I was, mm-hmm. so I was the only one in the company that had these thoughts and uh, and so I I, I won we landed the plane we're driving to the uh, to the convention center and he's like so D- Dean my mentor looks over at me he's like so dude you want to hear a funny story I'm like what's that he's like. I sent you that email and Rob's email. <laughs> really? So he's like, I, I've told you really? so many times. He was like, I've told you so many times. I've had so many conversations wow. with you. You weren't listening to me. Rob started getting on my case. I said, give me your computer. And he took Rob's computer and out of his email, typed me an email. So it was actually Dean that sent me the email hmm. from Rob's email. Isn't that neat? Isn't that crazy? What a great story. Yeah. What a great story. Yeah. That's cool. So you go to Vegas, you come back, and eventually you leave and you go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So actually a big turn in Vegas is a big conversation I was having with Dean while we were in the cab. He asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I want to be you. I want to have multiple stores. I want to be mentoring a bunch of people. I want to, I want to take this company to the next level. And uh, I don't want to just be a manager anymore. Like, I don't want to just be in one location. I don't want to be selling on the sales floor every day. I want to, I want to be big, doing bigger things. And he was like, that's great, but that's what I'm doing. And there's really not a need for that at this point. And I'm like, all right. And, you know, at the same time, I was happy and I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life. And, uh, and I'm in Vegas. And so we're having a good time. And, you know, like, uh, I got home though in, you know, I was starting to realize that I want more. And so Dean did me a huge favor. And it's really funny because he did me a huge favor, but he thought I was going to fail. So he thought he's going to get back, get me back. <laughs> he did me a huge favor and he connected me with this lady out of Ann Arbor and she was going through a transition of buying a company from her, from, from the owner of the, she was a managing partner and she was trying to buy out her partner because he had ran the company into bankruptcy and he, it was, it was business big. Cell phones? Cell phones, okay. another cell phone store. And so um, they were told by the banks, by Verizon, by everybody, either file bankruptcy and get out. 
because you you're you're so far gone that it's going to be really hard to climb out. You can sell your assets and sell what you have, sell your building, sell your people, sell whatever you have in inventory to another agent, which is how Dean came along. Dean was talking to them. Dean and Rob were talking to to Debbie about buying their company, and that didn't work out. And so she Debbie and this was the guy that was sick, right? Her her partner. Her her partner was sick. He uh, he had made a lot of bad decisions. So it's really this is a long story in itself. Yeah. I heard this story on the way back from Indianapolis, and it could be a movie. It's got mm. sex, drugs, mm. rock and Whoa. roll, you know, all Whoa. of it. A lot of crazy spending, frauding the government, all kinds oh, of crazy stuff. Lord. It's well. a really good movie. But uh, and so this is where we're at in the company. This guy literally came to the company and said the retail he, – he was building something else and putting money into something else. And uh, and he literally came to the, to the retail company and said, you guys are second-class citizens. You may not have inventory and I don't really care about you. I'm doing this other thing. And that's literally the message he gave him. So the culture, to say to speak, was not great. But Debbie was such an amazing, kind heart, huge energy. Dean introduced me to her and said, hey, um, she's going to need help. She, if she, she wants to go out on her own and she wants to rebuild this. And the only person I could think of in the world besides me that could help her do this is you. And so I'm going to introduce you to you guys can take it from there. And so I sat down with Debbie and one of the first things Debbie told me is, you know what? I, I don't know how I'm going to pay you. Dean told me to not tell you this. I don't know how I'm going to pay you because we're so far in debt, but I need you. I need mm. you so bad. And so she showed me her numbers. I jumped into her system. I started understanding where I could make a difference right away. And I said, okay, give me percentages of profit of each of these things and I'll come in and I can, you know, I can hit the ground running. And so I did that. And it was a what scary year was jump. this? What year was this? That was in 2009. Okay. Right in the, right at the recession. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're right at the recession. Um, she's about to join a franchise to try to set the slate, set the slate, the slate clear, but she's renegotiating with the bank. She's doing the things in the background to make sure we can get our debt in, in structure or in place and and, and in control. And then my job is to make sure we're selling. So we have money to come in to pay that, but also to pay employees, to keep me, to keep me going, to keep, to be able to sustain and build. We have three locations. One is just a nightmare that we can't ever get up. We, we end up closing it down. We could never get it out the ground. But the two locations start crushing it. And where were they doing, located at? Uh, in Ann Arbor. Okay. Well, one's in Ann Arbor. Uh, Ypsilanti is the technical address. is on Carpenter Road. Sure. And then North the other side. one was out in Jackson. Okay. And uh, – we we hit the ground running and just lit lit it on fire. Mm. It was an amazing experience. Um, I learned a tremendous amount. Uh, but what I was able to take from Dean, what I learned in leadership and having that ownership mentality, just it, it, it literally I was able to come in and just plug that in, and then fell on my face a lot and learned a whole lot. But sure. by the end of the day, we grew three hundred percent the first year. Wow. Um, we grew over two hundred percent the next year, and we were constantly in growth. By 2015, we had eight locations, and we were franchisee of the year across the franchise. So over across 500 owners in the franchise, it was the first time because the the, uh, franchise is based out of New England. It was the first time in franchise history that a franchise out of the New England area had one franchisee of the year, and it's the first time in company history that a female owner won the award. Mm -hmm. So it was a goal of mine. Uh, to break up that because I watched every year I went someone from New England someone from New England uh-huh. and I was like that guy won it last year two years ago <laughs> like the same yeah. people are winning it right. you know they and so my goal was we need to we need to politic we need to hit numbers like Arnold Schwarzenegger right, right. Arnold Schwarzenegger is not the biggest guy 
to ever bodybuild. Exactly. But when you say bodybuild, who do you think of? Arnold Schwarzenegger, right. Because he had the charisma, right. he politicked, he could build his brand, mm-hmm. he he had it all. He had the body, right. but he could do, he could shit talk with the best of them, he could mm-hmm. do it all. So right. we build up, We do, that's what we do. And so we, we won Franchise of the Year in 2015. It wasn't mm-hmm. even our best year, which was really cool. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, so... So yeah, it was uh, it was a it was a good time. And eventually, you decided that you were ready to leave and go out on your own. What I realized that is that I love coaching people and impacting their lives. And like I said earlier, I believe that everybody has that lion inside. And my biggest strength is empathy. There's a big difference between empathy and sympathy, and I'll get mm-hmm. into that. My biggest strength is empathy, empathy, because I've been in everybody's shoes that has struggled, or I can understand what it, I might not have had your struggle, but I can understand what it would be like. I've been through an abusive relationship, you know, having an abusive father. I've been <laughs> dirt poor, living in apartments my whole life. Um, I have had financial crisis. I've defined myself by my credit score. I've had evictions. <laughs> I've had repossessions. I've had all these things. And so I've had so many salespeople come to me that, are, you know, I don't know if you know this, but salespeople are the most messed up people in the world. Oh, yeah. They're, 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 yeah. <laughs> and most disorganized. Most disorganized. Right. Uh, you spend some time with a salesperson and you understand there's some, there's some dysfunction going on right. in there. And so... I, as I was sitting down with these people, all the things that I was so vulnerable about, vulnerable about and didn't want to tell anybody, I was realizing those are my strengths. People would be like, I feel like you understand. And I'm like, I do. I do understand. So this is the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is like, Stacy, I so understand where you're at. I had that same exact problem. I feel so bad for you. Go home and take a nap. You know what? Don't make calls today. I can understand you're in a, in a bad situation. Come in tomorrow and maybe we'll get it, get it to go tomorrow. Empathy is like, Stacy, I understand where you've been and I know how to get better. I know how to, how to get you in the spot that you need to be. I know how to rebuild your confidence and it's not going to be by going home. So pick up your shit, stop being a pussy and let's go. And I'm sorry, I'm right. reflecting on what John, <laughs> like right. John, the John like, advice. Yeah. The right. John advice. So go, let's go. Like, let's go, you know, and, and you got to pick it up. I, no one's going to help me. Mm-hmm. You got to help yourself. Right. 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 So you decided to leave and you went out on your own. Well, she gave you a check, didn't she? Yeah. So she she invested in me. She said, I know that you've always wanted to start your business. My own, uh, The owner of the company, Debbie, who is a good friend of mine, she knew that I was ready to go. Um, there was also some things that were coming down. She had went through a divorce and some different things were going on that were good timing. Her kids were now older. The, the debt was all paid down. The things that she was doing have now opened up. So she felt like she could take my role a little bit more. And, uh, and it was just a perfect timing. And so she's like, I know that you want to go start your business and you've given me so much that I want to give this back to you and do what you, you know, if you need to go get a job and do part business part time or whatever you want to do. I knew that if I went and got a job and tried to do this part time, I wouldn't do it. That was the reason why I hadn't did it before. I was I was too safe and comfortable. You know, I felt right. I can't walk away from this. I'd already gotten myself to a status that all my life, all I wanted to do when I was in high school, the only, I, I just wanted to make sure that I was never in the welfare line. I wanted to make sure that my kid had a house. I wanted to make sure that we had a vehicle. I wanted to make sure that we went on vacations. I wanted to make sure that I could be the best dad ever and provide the best experience. I could be the best husband. I could provide different things that I'd always wanted in my life. And so being at a point where I got that and my biggest why was my wife and my son, 
how could I ever walk away from something I'm making six figures to go and start my do what I've always wanted to do? Right, right. I've got my family I got to take care of. If I go out and starve and I don't get and right. I don't build my business, how do I do that? And that's fear of failure. That's, that's fear of failure. Six basic fears, mm-hmm. and then you also have the situation where Joe Carbo, you don't know who he is, an no. author. He he wrote a, a a book years ago called The Lazy Man's Way to Riches. It was a grabber, you know, the title. And one of the titles, subtitles of the book was. Most people are too busy earning a living to make any real money. Mm. That was you. Even though you're making $100,000 a year, yep. it's not where you needed to be, but yeah. not where you wanted to be. And yeah. so you're like the monkey hanging onto the peanuts inside the jar yeah. and will open up his hand to get his hand out of the jar while the guy's coming up to club him to death. You wouldn't let go of the peanuts, right? And you think about even like how our society set up. And sorry, this is a completely different rant, but like when people go to college, like you go to college and then you get in credit card debt and you're in all this debt. And so coming, like you were to be a doctor and you can, you obviously have people that are so, that have a lot of money that are doctors, but how much debt do they have going in? Mm-hmm. They can't not be a doctor. Right, right. right. They've right. got to be a doctor for the rest of their life because right. they've got to pay off all this debt. And then you have a nice house and you're driving a really nice car. Mm-hmm. And at what point can you quit? Right. You can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You've built up this lifestyle. The more money you have, the more you spend. It's right. the strongest drug in America. Yeah. Strongest yeah. drug in the world. Right? And they get us hooked right away. Yeah. Yeah, right. So that was the big thing Dean had was he didn't have – like I never – I didn't think that I could climb any ranks because I didn't have that college degree. And that was a big thing that we didn't talk about before was Dean was somebody that I saw making it in business and entrepreneurship that was my personal connection that that was like I didn't go to college. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. In fact, he was like – he had a twin brother and he was like me. My twin brother went to college. I didn't. I started off working in business. I started waiting tables, serving. I worked my way up in the restaurants. And then from the restaurants, I got the, you know, I, I worked into leadership and then I'm here and I've been able to really, you know, build a nice career. And he was like, my brother was $50,000 in debt. After four years, he was like, I had $50,000 saved up. We had a hundred thousand dollars swing. Right. In yeah. the meantime, I have experience. Mm-hmm. Right. I've learned how to lead right. in that four years where he's now coming out with that degree, mm-hmm. learning theories. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about your business. Yes. So I work, I coach entrepreneurs and professionals. Um, again, it's, it's, it's finding, finding that lion, right? Finding that lion inside. I work with people that are tired of the status quo or start tired. They, they've had this passion, this purpose. They've wanted to start a small business or they started a small business and they've had a little bit of success, but they know there's more and something's holding them back. It's that fear. It's that limiting beliefs, or maybe they don't know how to sell. They don't know how to, uh, how to lead or manage their team. And they're trying to scale their business and it's hard to develop those teams. So I work with these people, uh, through, coaching, uh, through training, um, working on mindset, working on how to communicate, what's your difference. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned too that you have – because you can do all this coaching, but then you teach people how to develop a process, which I think is really important because if people come for all the training and the coaching, but they don't have a way to start applying it and they have a tangible – plan that they can execute, it doesn't really matter that they got the training and the coaching. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, my whole system is mindset, communication, and then, and then system or process. And so again, you have to overcome certain beliefs. You have to shift your lenses. Sometimes I had to shift my lens when becoming a leader. Dean did that for me, shifted my lens. That's, you know, that's, so that's, we have to work on that a lot, communicating how you're different, but then 
Um, any, we talked about this earlier when I talked about building the process to, to, to build that machine where my company just all of a sudden everybody was doing these things because I set out these expectations and Monday through Friday we did this, you know, Monday we did this, Tuesday we did this. It's very important to lay out a system in order to create consistency. If I work with somebody and I coach them and this happens, I coach somebody once they feel, Oh my God, I'm healed. <laughs> they run out there. They make a couple of sales. John last year, right? He, I, we talked. He was like, "Oh my God, I feel healed." He ran out. He made a couple of sales. Life feels good. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you're comfortable again. Everything slid. You know, like it's yeah. you, you didn't. You're it's a, now it's peaks and valleys. You're going up mm-hmm. and down. Um, you have to commit and plug in a system to know this is what you're doing every single day. Mm-hmm. And it's a plan. I know where I'm going. Right. Well, and it's so funny that you say that because when I saw him on Wednesday, he was like, well, I met with Jason. It was awful. It was awesome. <laughs> awful. But, uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. You <laughs> He's know, been lying to me. <laughs> it was awesome. But he, he was wiped out. Like he was like he, – he couldn't even put a sentence together by the time that I saw him. He was just like, oh, my gosh, that was like rigorous that you – you really like go through this this thing and it's emotions. this mindset. You're starting to develop the mindset. And I was like, that's so cool. And he said, um, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he had alluded to that things had like been in decline. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought you said that like last year was the best year that you had had. And he was, was like, well, yeah, it was. But now it's now. <laughs> and I was like, oh, right. And that's exactly – I didn't think about what you're saying is that like he was on this high yeah. of, you know, he got his – he got himself on this trajectory and then that worked out. Yeah. And then – So you think about someone goes to the gym, you know, they set their New Year's resolution. Mm-hmm. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to go to the gym. And so they eat healthy. They go to the gym. But they don't really have it laid out. They don't have a process. They're just going whenever they feel like it. They're not doing particularly any particular workout and they're doing keto diet, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You plug it in. You do it. You lose weight. You're like, oh, I feel good. And then you stop doing <laughs> you stop doing the stuff. Right. The stuff that got you to that where got you, you there. To be, yeah. You and you start doing out. all of the other stuff that got you to the place where you needed to go to the gym and yeah. get on the diet. And we We always want the easy fix. And that's the power in coaching. There's a couple, there's a lot of powers in coaching, uh, but we always want the easy fix. And so if I start feeling a little bit better after one or two sessions, I'm like, I don't need the doctor anymore. Mm-hmm. If I go to the chiropractor and I feel good after a couple of adjustments, I'm like, oh, I don't need to go back. However, you do. You need to create consistency. Mm-hmm. You need to. You you can't just until you have that system plugged in place where you can do it all by yourself without somebody saying, Hey, Stacy, did you do that? Mm-hmm. Hey, Stacy, or being able to overcome your emotions because, and I'm doing it myself. There's things I can do for my clients that then, you know, write a bio. A client will say, can you help me write a bio? I'm like, yeah, let me see it. And I can write a great bio just like that. And then somebody mm-hmm. says, can you send me your bio? And I'm like, Ugh. it's the worst. That used to happen to me all the time too, because when I was doing business consulting for marketing and PR, like I can write everybody else's stuff all day long. And I even wrote the eulogy for a client for both of his parents. Like, yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> it yeah. was so easy for me to do because I had spent so much time with him. I understood his business. I was completely focused on him all the time, not focused on myself, right? Because yeah. he's my client. And when it's time to do it for yourself, you're like, oh, geez, what am I, where do I begin? It's, it's, it's interesting. It's the emotions because the emotions cloud us. You know, we start thinking about, okay, is somebody going to think I'm talking about myself too much? And, and, you know, we start worrying about what other people are saying. When people sit down with me in coaching, 
They 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 tell me what they have going on, and without emotion, I can I can help them see what they actually have going on. Mm-hmm. Really. I had a gentleman the other day that was telling me, I mean, it was the saddest story ever. Hmm. I mean, he's just, he literally said, I wish my life on nobody. Hmm. He's dwelling on things that happened back in the 80s. Hmm. He's Hmm. to the point where he actually has so many good things. He has an unconditional love, amazing wife at home right now that he's literally not talking to, literally not having conversation with. He's just wrapped up in his phone because he's so wrapped up in his thoughts. And so he's not appreciating he's all he's wanted his whole entire life was unconditional love and he has it sitting right there on the couch at home and he's not paying attention to it and you know what what's going to happen when that's gone yeah it's going to go back to the victim mentality of like oh you know i like i didn't i now i don't have this and now it's taken away from me and life is bad well it's full circle we're back to that place that's his story yeah so he's making his story true so as he's telling me all these tragic stories that have happened i'm writing down all the beautiful moments that happened out of those stories Mm. and then at the end we go back through it and i'm able to show him like all right you told you told me about how you told your daughter these things when you were drinking about what you did in the in the war and you know when you were in, when you were in the military and how you were just you're so ashamed of that. But when you're telling me that, I see how much your daughter more your daughter connected with you. Mm-hmm. Your daughter saw you as a human. Your daughter, I mean, think about it. If if you died and your daughter doesn't know who you are, mm-hmm. now she can tell stories and she knows who you are. She right. knows what you had to do and she knows how bad you feel about the things that you had to do. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So talk a little bit. I want to make sure that we cover it because I think my dad was not in the room. You have a three-step process. So it's when you're working with somebody, it's mindset. Mindset, communication, and process. Mm-hmm. When you're in sales, the big thing that I, I help people do is take the fear out of sales. Take that stigma out of it. I'm very passionate about sales done a, a, a certain way. Me and Doc hit it off so well because we're so uh, so in tune, you know. And I was right. telling you, like, he beat me to sending a letter. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he beat me at my own game because right. I was at I was at your house on Wednesday, and uh, and I'm like, I need to ask for Doc's address, and I left, and I didn't. And the next day, I got his envelope, and I'm like, oh, he got me. <laughs> but, but it's I done never a certain thought way. About it as a race. It's though. not a race. It's not. No. It's not. It's not a race. It's just who I am. It's just it's who you are. Yep. Exactly. Right? And that's the point. Right. So many people will come to me and say, I'm not a salesperson. And I say, I, I beg to differ. You were John. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. My wife got to meet John a couple of Fridays oh, ago. Yeah. And my wife is a John fan club member. Aren't she would she, wear the don't shirt. you just love him? John is like my wife literally said, John is Are so Are we talking about my son, John? No. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I, <laughs> Sharon's son, John. Yeah, sorry. I'm like, John I know, is so I know charismatic. Or, yeah. My wife's John is so charismatic that he needs to be everywhere. You don't see that though. You know, no, like yeah. when we don't, when we see ourselves, we don't see right. certain things that other people mm-hmm. see. Sure. When you're so authentic in your intent, when you just want to help people, when I can look in your eyes and I see the level of caring that you have, you mm-hmm. want to get it right for me. And then you go out and you do that. That's just sales is problem solving and right. it's getting to know your people. And right. so, but we make it so hard. Mm-hmm. We become used car salesmen or we think that we got to sell, we got to, you know, meet this quota. We mm-hmm. got to sneak this thing in. We are, or there are people that just flat out don't care. Mm-hmm. So sales get such a bad name. Right. So right. I'm very passionate about going out there and helping people change that stigma, change that perspective of what, of what sales is. So we work on mindset. We help people become, find their inner lions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people out there that are literally damaged and that, that fear and those limiting beliefs in their head that they can't go out and make that next step. 
we've got to cross that hurdle before I can even talk to you about communication. But then that's part of it because salespeople aren't confident because they don't know what to say. Right. I've watched so many people make sales calls in, it'll be like, hi, how's it going? I want to call you because of this, because of this sale we have. Are you interested? No. Okay. Well, have a good day. Yeah. That one went good. He was like, he said, no. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. I made the call. Yeah. I made the call. Yeah. Uh, You know. I would call people because I know that in the cell phone industry that we have a 12-month warranty on our phones. And so I'm thinking about, okay, what kind of problem is that? Well, I have customers that come in at 13 months and say, man, my phone's been, my, my phone's been not working. And I look up their, their phone and it's out of warranty. And they say, well, it's been doing it for four months. You guys don't care about me. This sucks. And now I have an angry customer. So I'm right. like, okay, at 10 months, I'm going to call my customers and I'm going to say, Hey, Stacy, how's it going? This is Jason over at the Verizon store. How are you doing? I'm giving you a quick call because it's 10 months since you got your phone. I know time flies by. I don't know if you know this, but the phone has a one-year warranty. We talked about that at the beginning. I call my customers at this time because is there anything going on with your device? Is there anything acting funny? You have oh, two right, months yeah. in order to file, file a warranty great. claim. And they're like, you're not trying to sell me anything? I'm like, no, literally, I just want to help you because I have clients that come in after the fact and it creates a problem. And I, I want to make sure I'm solving that problem for you. And they're like, yeah, my phone's been turning off and the battery doesn't last as long. Come on in. Right. Let's see what we can do. I can process warranty. But in the meantime, I get to look up their account and most likely they're eligible for a new phone. And or I get a chance to talk to them and find out about what else is going on. And you know what? I just found out that 10 year old Johnny needs a new phone. And so we add on him because it's time to get him a phone. And it just so happens they're in my store. But I solved a problem. Tell us about uh, I should remember her name. The cookies, the brownies. Shirley and Dell. Is this a good time to go into that? We've got about 13 minutes. I want to, we can tell the story, but I want to make sure that people understand. Okay. Yeah. Um, So you've got the, you've got your process and you're working with these people. Mindset. Communication. So we we'll go back to the confidence. Confidence creates better mindset. Mm-hmm. Confidence comes from creating a process. When I know what, not a script when I'm making a phone call, but I know what I want out of it. Mm-hmm. I know, so I know my desired result. I know what possible objections are. I talked to so many salespeople and I'm like, what happened there? And they were like, oh, they told me they can't afford it. That happens so all, yeah, all the right, time. Right. I'm like, okay, so what's, how do you overcome that objection? I don't know. You haven't thought about it? No. How often do you get that objection? Every All day. All the time, right. That's definition of insanity. <laughs> like, right, you know, yeah, that's, right? that's definition of insanity. Right. You know what the objections are. Let's list them out. Okay, mm-hmm. now let's reverse engineer and go through. How do you overcome these objections? What kind of questions can you ask mm-hmm. to get people talking to where you can overcome and get them talking? To control the conversation. To control that conversation. Right. And then, like okay, card. these are my Take desired card, results. Right? By the time I get off the end of the phone call, I need to set a next step. What's the next step in this? And it's got to be one of those desired results. Either I'm following up with you next week. I'm coming out to your office for an appointment. You're coming into my office for an appointment. I'm following up with information for you so we can move to the next step, another next step. Whatever it is, I've got to have that next step. When salespeople have a process to follow, life becomes so – they just become so much more confident. Mm -hmm. I have a client that had the hated sales. He literally told me this is three – we started working together. It was just the beginning of our fourth month. He's like, I'm not, I'll never be in the business world. I just want to work with athletes. I never want to be in the business world hmm. because I'm not a business guy. I'm not a sales guy. He had one client and it was like kind of a pity client. And, uh, and so, and he told me this and he was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Now, the problem we have is he doesn't have enough time in his schedule. So in four months, he now has 26 clients. Wow. They're all big swinging clients that are paying him really good money. And 
some of uh, like half of them are businesses. <laughs> Not <laughs> and I'm like, Man, I thought you weren't a business guy. He's like, that was before you taught me to eat faces. Right. Now I'm out here and I'm ripping it up because he was a problem solver before. Right. He understood, like, he wanted to take care of people. All I got him to do was follow a process and overcome the mindset that sales is, sales is dirty. Mm-hmm. So I have a question. It's not a trick question. And it's not to trap you. Yeah. But I want to clarify it and build some um, credibility around it because – You'll have the people who are skeptical about sales. They're skeptical about salespeople. And we talked about at the beginning that salespeople are highly disorganized. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. how do you teach them to follow a process? Because yeah. you're taking some of the most disorganized people in the world yeah. and you're getting them to agree and see the value in following a process and making it so automatic that they're able to continue the process, which is your strength. Absolutely. I mean, that's what, that's what makes you good. It, 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 it takes a process. CRMs are hugely important to be able to document. So, so you have some kind of tool in, your, in, in, in place to where when you're making your calls that you can document what's going on, when you're following up, when you're doing these things, that you know the life cycle of your customer. Explain CRM. A CRM is a customer retention module. Right, okay. um, I mean, it can be as much as uh, an Excel sheet uh, or as little as an Excel sheet, as much as there are so many Zoho and Salesforce and all these companies out there mm-hmm. that specialize in in being a sales for, or being a, a, a customer retention module. So what happens is, is you document and put your clients and your prospects in this, in this, in this system or in this platform. And as you talk to them, you take notes as you need to follow up with them. You put a calendar reminder. So it pops up and lets you know. When you put that tool in place, it helps you stay so organized. Now, that's just a small piece of it because you're right. Salespeople are um, not the most organized and they're the ones that are going to fight you on using this the most. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of salespeople are money incentivized. They want to make the money. And so if I can show them how this will make them more money, then they will do it. So I need to, I need to sell them. And so there's not even a really – cookie cutter answer because it all depends on what's important to you. Mm-hmm. Are you someone that just really wants to take care of your clients and money isn't that big of a deal to you? Well, let me sell you on how this can help you take better care of your clients. Are you someone that just wants to make a ton of money and you're ha- you want to take care of your clients, but you want to make a ton of money, money and you want, to be, money, right? you want to create a big referral base? I will sell you on why this is going to be help you do that. And commit to me. Just commit to me. Just do it. I had a guy that like, I'm like, just give me three months. Just give me three months. You're like, you can go do whatever you want after this. If this doesn't work out, like, man, you can go be a stripper for all I care. Like, go and do it. You know, like, uh, and, and, uh, and he committed to it for three months and he made more and more money and more and more money and more and more money. And it's a compound effect. When right. you're a salesperson, you're keeping track of all your clients and I can call you and be like, doc, when we talked last month, when you came in, uh, and you told me this, I just wanted to follow up because I thought of you. How was that trip to Florida, by the way? Yeah, right. Yeah. You know? And they're like, Jason's a god. He remembers everything. Right. He well, does, some right. stuff I remember, right. but a lot of it well, I just documented. He's mm-hmm. documented it, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. So the other thing that you do, you're not just working with um, salespeople and a one-off or entrepreneurs um, at a time. You're, you also offer training yes. for companies, yes. for their sales teams. Yes. Me and my wife, actually. So my wife uh, is – I met my wife on the sales floor mm-hmm. uh, and she has over 20 years of sales and we met and uh, connected really well because we believe in the same being the difference for our clients. She's actually 
much more skilled in, uh, than I am in sales. And, uh, and so she is home now in the business in, uh, in coaching and training as well. And so we have a training where we come out and work with small businesses and companies to teach their sales team and their customer service reps on how to be the difference, how to be the difference for their clients, how to be the difference for their companies, how to be the difference for their communities. And it's a lot of the stuff that we're talking about now, um, opening up perspective of what sales is and how you can become a dominant force in your industry, no matter what industry that is. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So the story that he's talking about is the story about what, Shirley and Dell. Oh, Unless I was out of the room for a moment there, did you cover co- controlling the conversation? We uh, talked just a little bit about it. Let's do that real quick. Yeah. That's important to the audience, okay. I think. Yeah. Yeah, controlling and that all ties in with what we were just talking about as mm-hmm. far as having right. that process in place, right? And, and being able to ask questions. Right. Two things. One thing. Uh, it's very important to know the difference between open-ended and closed-ended questions. Mm-hmm. Open-ended questions are questions that are going to inspire more than a yes-no result. Tell me about what are, you know, how, what, where, when, how. Right. You can't Why, tell me right. yes to that. Right. Hey, Stacy, how do you wake up in the morning? Yes. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't make sense. You right. got to answer that. You got to have some thought. Yeah. Into did it. you sleep well last night? Yes. Yeah. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a, it. That's a yes. That's, that's all there is. Yes, yes or, or no. no. Right. Yes or no. And that's not what you want. Yeah. How did you sleep last night? Right. right. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. You got to go in and tell me. Right. Oh, I tossed and turned. Oh, I slept like a baby. And this, you're going to go into more of a more and tell me. The majority of salespeople ask salespeople ask closed-ended questions. Right. Also, the majority of salespeople don't ask a lot of questions because they feel That's like they're huge being thing. intrusive or they're like being like Columbo and, you know, grilling them and all that kind of thing. So there's a lot of opportunity missed. You can hit a baseball if you stand up at the home as a plate and close your eyes and swing. But your odds are dramatically decreased to hit that. You can make a sale by asking no questions and just lucking into it. But the odds that you do it over and over and over again are significantly decreased. And that's why salespeople don't feel like they belong in sales. That's why salespeople will have a good month and then a horrible month and then a horrible month and a horrible month and a decent month and a good month and a horrible month. Mm -hmm. So if you ask questions, you discover opportunities, you find how you can change people's lives and, and help them out. Now, let's ask questions that are focused on how you can help them. Part of the system is you need to know what is your difference? How do you help people? What makes you different? And then ask people questions purposefully to help guide them to where you are the difference. Right. Mm-hmm. Guide them. Like you take them right to where you want them to be and then say, you know what? I asked you those questions because here's the solution. But what was interesting when you and I met was – and it was funny because I was just asking questions because that's what I do. Yeah. And you were sitting there across your desk in your office thinking to yourself, this came out later, that this guy's controlling the conversation. And that's not what I do. That's not, I know that's, I'm supposed to control this conversation. It's, and I wasn't even thinking about what I was doing. But I really was interested when you, you caught my interest when you said Dean taught you how to control a conversation. Share that with the audience. The card game? Yeah, be, because yeah. It, it's important that people understand very, they can get a they can get a picture in their mind why asking questions is so important. Yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, so Dean literally did this exercise. You didn't know. You didn't know. I didn't know. Right, uh, and this is something he drilled in a lot. This uh, there's a lot that I've learned from this man, but this was a this was a huge thing. Uh, but he had this exercise that he did with me one day because I wasn't really getting it, and he pulled out a deck of cards and he was like, "All right, just pick a card, pick any card." And I so I don't even know what I picked. I picked a card, uh, and he's like, "All right, keep it in your head." And he was like, "All right." How, uh, is that card red or black? 
and then he would ask me a series of questions. Is that card a face card or a value card? Is that card a hard or a club? Is that card a king or a queen? And so he would just ask me these questions until he had the final card that I had in my hand. And he was like, I'm not magic. I just controlled the way the conversation went until I went through all 52 cards in just like that. Right. Like I stack, cut them in half, cut them in half, cut them in half until the option is here. Right. And I think we talked about people come in, you know, when you're, when you're selling something, people have in their mind what they can spend or what they feel comfortable spending. But I've only had one time in my career, and this was amazing. It was like uh, the most amazing experience ever that somebody came in and said, this is how much money I have. I need to spend it all. <laughs> I think it was like yeah, we can do that getting back you. against the ex-husband type deal, oh, deal yeah, this, yeah. This, this situation that I had. Nobody comes in and says, I have this money to spend. What, what can you get me? You've got to control those cards and yeah. ask the questions in order to make – in order to win the game. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so we have enough time. It might take us a little bit over, but we'll – be just I'll a tell little bit fast. Um, about Shirley and Dell. And what I love so much about the story is that it goes back to the idea of empathy and sympathy and that you really can connect to people. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a strength in a salesperson that it's a true ability to understand where someone's coming from. So you're, and you're talking about being the difference and that's, I love my system because literally being the difference in people's lives. I was in the cell phone industry. People would rather stand all day at TSA getting frisked than come into a cell phone store for five minutes. And that's a stat. That's literally NPS reports. Literally people say that they would rather stand at TSA getting frisked all day than walk into a cell phone store. Several reasons why. But I'm like, all right. That's my advantage. If I can make people feel really good about coming in here, you know, you have elderly people. We're going into the smartphone age or um, texting, you know, and if I can be patient with them, if I can show them how to use it, you know, older older women or older men, gra- grandmas and grandpas at this point didn't, didn't like texting and they'd say, I don't want one of those texting phones. And I would relate to them and be like, you know what? I get it. I'm like, how often do your grandkids talk to you? And they're like, not as much as we'd like, because that's the typical answer. I know my grandma said the same thing. And what I got my grandma was a, was a, was a phone that we could text because then I can send her pictures. I can shoot her messages. You know, when I talk to my grandma on the phone, it's two hours. I don't always have the time for that, but you know what? I get to keep up with her every day. Look at this. We send messages every single day and she absolutely loves it. Now she has a full phone with a full keyboard. And now I made, now I took a, 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 an elderly lady that was so afraid of something and now it's her most prize asset. Now she comes in and shows me every month her grandson, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So you're related. It's so the difference again. Right? Being the difference. So Shirley and Dell were these customers I had when I was in this little store in Fenton and they came into my store and they were, they were a little bit older and just not hip with the cell phones. And I was just really patient for them. And let's be kidding. Let's, you know, let's be honest. I, I didn't have a, any much else to do there. So the store was super <laughs> slow. Uh, so Shirley and, and Dell were, were sleeping. They right? were VIP. I would have had Adam rub their feet, but, uh, you know, he was sleeping. Yeah. So, so anyways, I'm taking care of them. I just built this relationship and I made them feel so comfortable and you know and, and Shirley was like truly was like no one's ever made me feel this way and she was such a character she was so funny and Dell was like Dell was this guy that was just long for the ride he was such a nice guy but whatever Shirley said Dell was like uh-huh like <laughs> Shirley would tell the best stories in the world it'd be like these incredible stories and she'd be like right Dell and like uh-huh. if Dell would have disagreed she would he would have got a kick to the you know kick yeah. to the shin so he's like uh-huh yep. <laughs> it was funny so I got promoted to Lansing, and I so I moved out to Lansing. They shut down the Fenton store. I didn't see Shirley and Dell and uh, to communicate, and I totally forgot about Shirley and Dell within the mix. And because I was out here building the store up, and so a couple years go by, and I'm sitting at my desk one day, and I see this van pull up, and this lady and this guy get out of this van, and I'm like, 
oh my God, oh my God, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? I know, I know him. I, who is it? And so I literally pulled up my CRM and I'm going through my customers and I'm flipping through names and I'm like, who is it? And I come across Dell and Shirley and I'm like, is Dell? And I'm getting goosebumps now thinking yeah. about it. Like yeah. they found me all the way out in Lansing. They saw me in Fenton. For, if, we're to listen, if I don't know how far two years. this podcast goes, two years. this is about an hour drive. Yeah. And so they, two years later, they, yeah, two years later. So I'm like, maybe this is an accident. And then I see Shirley go around to her van and she opens up the back and she pulls out a huge plate of brownies. She's got like sandwiches. She's got like the plate of sandwiches. There's a Sam's club behind us. So she went and got a bunch of snacks. She comes in, comes in, gives me a big hug. And so the story goes, she was, she had been looking for me for two years. Like she went to every Verizon store in the area, turning, like she went to every Verizon store. She went to every Sprint store. She was like, Jason's got to be somewhere. I know he didn't leave this industry, but so Jason's got to be somewhere. And she didn't buy a phone this whole entire time. So she's hanging out without a phone for, like she's a, an old phone for two years. And so she's driving everywhere. Everybody's telling her, no, Jason doesn't work here. So she goes up to this store in Brighton that just so happened to be affiliated with my company. And she walks in and she says, I'm looking for the, for my best sales guy I've ever had. His name's Jason Tracy. Do you know him? And the guy said, nope. <laughs> he doesn't work here. That's all I know. It just so happened the guy in the back was one of my really Mac, good friends. Right? Matt, Matt, uh, Matt McCoola. Yeah. He was one of my really good friends. <laughs> and uh, he came out of the back. And he's like, hey. He was like, Jason's at the Lansing store. He got promoted to manager a couple years ago. He's out there. You can find him. You can find him out there. Was, so, Anyways, they, they searched me they for two years. Down. Came out to me, tracked me down. That's what I teach people how to do, how to create those customers that both repeat and refer refer business that will travel with you. And so that was a really cool feeling for me. It was even cooler when I built up a company with nine locations when I left that had people in every one of those locations that I could go in on any day of the week and there'd be a line for those people. There'd be their own Shirley's and Dell's. I had my top sales guy. He was out in my Jackson store. He helped me believe he helped me build the company that I was talking about to the point. And he was my top guy. He was out in my Jackson store for five years. My number one guy, I moved him out to Ypsilanti, which is a 50 minute drive from Jackson. And he, he broke he shattered his record. He doubled his best mm. profit month in the first month being out in Ipsy because the people in Jackson drove out to him for 50 <laughs> minutes and then he got new customers in Ipsy. That's great. Wow. People will follow you right. if you make them feel good. I think it's uh, Maya Angelou says people don't, people don't hear what you say. They don't hear uh, what they don't see what you do. That's how you make them feel. Mm-hmm. Right. That's exactly. what I learned in sales very early. It's how you make people feel. Right. That's great. We're out of time. That went we fast. We are out of time. Well, Jason, it's really wonderful to have you yeah, on the show today. I know we could talk for Jason two Tracy, hours, so. Roar. Very good. Thank and you for Stacey having me. Stacey did a good job moderating, and Thanks. this is Doc Sloan saying, I never had a bad day in my life, and we'll Heck see yeah. you next week. <laughs> All right. Thanks. God bless. Bye.